that voice. You know, today, we have, I've been going through Acts with you guys, but we've pulled away from Acts for a little bit. Partly, we've got Mother's Day, we've got Father's Day coming. So, uh, by the way, next week is Father's Day, and fathers, I promise, I, I know there's a difference between Mother's Day and Father's Day at churches. Mother's Day is generally, mothers, you're so wonderful, we love you so much, here's the great things you do, and then fathers, we get our rears kicked in church. This is what you need to be doing as a father, step up kind of stuff. There'll be a little bit of that Sunday because I know most of us need that a little bit, but, um, but it'll be more general for the church about uh, um, just about, uh, it's going to really be about worship and about what it means to be a Christ follower. And so uh, we will do that on Father's Day. So we're moving away from Acts for just a little bit. We, we'll get back to it. But today I want to have a different message for you uh, because I want to I say a couple of things. First, in the seven months I've been with you guys, I can tell God has been really good to our church. I mean, last, the last couple of weeks we had seven students on, two, on Thursday nights uh, and seeing them engage a good bit. Today, after church today, we've got uh, orientation for our current and potential workers in Kidsville. So recognize that we're stepping up. We've gone to three Sundays uh, a month in Kidsville right now. So Raquel's doing a great job with that. We've got guests joining us every week. And by the way, for the first time guests today, thank you guys for being a part of that. You're going to uh, hear a little bit different kind of message today, but it's going to be a great day to be here, and we're glad you're here with us today, and especially those of you who are joining us online, too. Um, and here's the thing that I actually see, too. I can see God working in the lives of so many of our people. I just take, I, I don't want to, it just happens to be the, the great example of it. Devin, thank you for that testimony today. Appreciate you up there giving that. And, um, I'm a little bit worried. We're in our pastor search right now, and every time I turn around, Devin's volunteering in a new place. So Devin's working in Kidsville. He's been in uh, working on AV stuff back there, and so I'm 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 afraid you guys are gonna have him preach one day. All right, that that may be it, and I may be out here quicker than I thought. So and I'm trying to look and see if all right now I, he, if he's taking me serious or not. I don't know, but but I just see several things how God is stepping up people uh, <clears throat> to to working. We've got people in the pipeline for coming up and to stepping up to new leadership positions. We'll tell you more about that in the future also. So I'm seeing God doing some great things as I see people grow uh, in Jesus during this time. And I, I wish I could take time to tell you more and more examples, but the sermon might be a little long as we get into it. So let's keep going, all right? Um, so a lot of things. Oh, by the way, and we've started, we've just started setting up soliciting resumes for uh, the new pastor now. So your pastor search team has been working hard on that. So they'll start coming in. Hope we be praying that they be praying that we get the right ones in. Okay. Um, you know, that it's, it's a little bit like, like fishing and, and having to throw away the, you know, the ones that aren't the right size, but, but uh, it's going to be a tough time for the pastor search team. But so things are moving on. God's doing some great things in our church, but don't you hate that word sometimes? <laughs> but every once in a while, I hear people expressing some fear, frustration, or fatigue. And those are the three F's that really kind of can get a church down sometimes. Fear, frustration, and fatigue. Now, there's some things that, that I can understand that. We're in an interim position. You know, I am only going to be here temporarily. That is, my, that is my place of service in the kingdom right now is filling in there. I hear some people... Uh, expressing some some uh, some pain over the fact that we're not at our pre-COVID size. Most churches aren't, but but that still hurts for that for people. Um, this is the second church I've worked with. It was, it was looking at going like multiple services and stuff, uh, and then COVID shut that down. Um, there's also a lot of pain and loss over the Goldsboro's being gone. All right. In fact, uh, Jeremy and um, 
Marshall should be in the air right now probably or maybe landing there but Stephanie and the rest of the kids I hope you're watching today and if you're not why not all right that's what I want to say because unless you found a new church already but actually you know uh this is our first Sunday without I me mean, we do pray that they will that, that God will bless their future and give them a great church in Michigan somewhere and it's going to be hard as much as they were invested in this church it's gonna be hard for them to find a new church so be praying for them as they look for a new church all right so <laughs> that's always weird in church when that happens but all right um yes we do there we are we are missing you guys and so uh and we're missing a, a lot of people we understand that but I want to tell you that fears frustrations and fatigue are normal okay um, that is normal, especially in a church that's been through some things and has lost some leadership and that kind of stuff. But I want you to know they're, they're okay and normal only to a point. If they loom so large that we begin to doubt whether God is still with us, then those fears, frustrations, and fatigue become bigger than our faith. And I want to remind you, faith is the F that is much larger than those other three Fs right there. Do not let fear, frustration, and fatigue take over your faith. And so in light of that today, we're going to ask the question, can we trust God? And that's the question. Now, I know when I, when I say that, some of you guys are going to go like, duh, all right? But let's kind of look at it today. So we're going to look at one verse out of Isaiah. <clears throat> the verse out of Isaiah is Isaiah 48, 17. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, wow, that was bad. All right. Sorry, I need to learn how to mute it real quick. That, that scared me a little bit. Uh, Isaiah 43, 17, here's what it says. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. There's a lot in that verse we're going to unpack here for a little bit, but let's have a word of prayer first. Father, we are very very thankful to you father we know that there is no good in us the psalms say that clearly we have no good besides you that yet father you have chosen to be good to us not only because we are your children but because we choose to serve you and allow you to work in our lives so father thank you for allowing us that partnership father we know we don't control the situation but we work with a god we are loved by a God who is in control of all situations and will not let us down, will not let us go, will hold us fast. And Father, we thank you for that song and for the song of surrendering all. And Father, today, help us anew to surrender everything to you, knowing that you will hold us fast, knowing that we can trust you for the good and through the bad. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now let's set the background for this passage a little bit, all right? And I'm going to tell you a little bit of, of freaky stuff. There's, there's parts of Isaiah <clears throat> that we believe were written maybe a little bit after Isaiah's life. Now, we don't know that for sure. Now, don't hear me. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that there's lies in the Bible or we're not saying that, that there's indications that parts of Isaiah were written a little bit later time. And this is one of those passages that probably was incorporated into Isaiah's message, still by the Holy Spirit, still still scripture that we follow okay but this was probably written about a time when they were going when they were in captivity after if you know that the, the 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 country of israel had been taken over by first by the Assyrians and by the babylonians 
So either it was written during that time or it was looking forward to that time. So choose the way you like to, like to look at it there. Still God's word, still, still valid for us today, all right? So this part of Isaiah is written with their focus on being in captivity in Babylon. They had been scattered all over the, all over the place. And the people asked themselves, can we trust God? Can he get us out of this? People who believe God had abandoned them, but the Lord reminds them here that he's still their God even though they were doubting his presence and his guidance. He's saying there are still some good things for you, even when things are looking bad. So here's four truths I want to share with you about this passage today. The first truth is that God is real. Now you may say that's another duh statement, like we all know that. But I'm thinking, do we really? I want to ask you, okay? Look at those first words that it quotes God saying. It says, thus is the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God. When you say I am, does anybody does remind anybody of another Bible passage? All right, the burning bush. Yeah, you know that passage right there. When he says, I am the Lord, it said, I am who I am. It was to Moses at the burning bush there, okay? That's actually Moses took a, took a, self, took a picture there at the burning bush right there. So we have it for you right there. So um, um, actually, I don't know who did that. That actually looks pretty realistic though, okay? I guess... It's, I didn't Photoshop that, somebody else did. But, um, but here's the interesting thing about that. As we look at that burning bush, when God said, I am, that was a weird thing for God to say because I am is a verb. <clears throat> it's a verb in Hebrew. And names are, are usually nouns. In fact, that's the definition of a noun. All right? So, Jackie, you're a fourth grade teacher, okay? Remember the definition of a noun? What is it? The name of a person, place, or thing. Exactly. <clears throat> so they're, they're not, all names are nouns, but God said, my name is not a noun, it's a verb. Well, there's a difference in that. Verbs show action. Verbs have a relationship. Somebody has to be doing the action, and often somebody's receiving the action in a verb. And so verbs are more alive. They're more, they're, they're more in touch with everything. There's something important. There's something, something more energetic about verbs at that point. So think about it, for example, like Anthony, when people think of you, would, they really, would you rather them think of chair or think of breathe? Okay, yeah, that's better. Or John, would you rather think of wall or run? You know, again, I know I'm being a little bit, a little bit silly here, okay, but, but verbs have more something more to them. And God's saying, I am, I exist, I am real. In fact, as a sidebar to that, when he says, I am that I am, or I am who I am, in Hebrew, tenses are different. Okay, it's not past, present, future. So when God said, I am that I am, he was saying, I am who I was. I was who I will be. I will be who I am. It was like all throughout eternity, I am. I am real. I exist. That is super important. And we all say we know that, but do we act like it? This is a huge concept that the Jews, the Jewish people had over all the other nations. In fact, I, I, I love this phrase. Okay, this is Psalm 135, verses 15 to 18. It's, um, it's one of my memory verses here. It says, the idols of the nation are nothing but silver and gold. Catch that, are nothing but silver and gold. The work of human hands, they have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear nor is there any breath at all in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them, 
Yes, everyone who trusts in them. You catch what he's saying there? That these idols that you have, they're just silliness. They're dead objects. There's nothing to them, but our God is not like that. That's one of the reasons why God said you'll make no idols. Because anything that represented God is dead. But God is alive and can't be represented by silver or gold. In fact, Isaiah himself, we, I don't take time for the whole passage here, but a few chapters earlier, Isaiah makes fun of a guy who says, a man goes out in the wood, he cuts down, goes out in the forest, he cuts down a tree, he brings it back, he chops it up, and with part of it, he builds a fire to warm himself and cook his food. And with the other part, he makes an idol to worship. All right? From the same wood that you burned, you make an idol. And he said, how stupid is that? That's exactly what Isaiah was saying. Because all the other idols are dead, all the other gods are dead, but our God is alive and is living. And here's the thing we have to remember is the reality of God being real should affect us 24-7. Um, you know, I got, okay, I'm going to do a short illustration on this, all right? Um, back in my, my grad school days, I used to spend uh, my, my Thanksgivings at Yosemite, I'd go backpacking in Yosemite. And I know I don't look like much of a backpacker now, but I was at that time. And one day, my roommate and I, we hiked up to the, uh, to the top of Glacier Point. And I had just gotten a new camera, and I wanted to get some good pictures of Yosemite Valley. So I climbed over the railing at Glacier Point and kind of got over closer to the edge. And I let myself down off of a ledge onto another little ledge below. And as I dropped, it was further than I thought. And I actually sort of, you know, hurt my shoulder a little bit which you don't, doesn't happen when you're in your 20s, okay? It does in your 60s and 70s. It happens all the time. But, and I, was, I missed how deep that ledge was. Well, I remembered that I not only had new, a new camera, but I also had gotten new glasses with a new prescription. And for those of us who wear glasses, you know when you get a, long, a, a, a stronger prescription, the ground looks a little bit closer sometimes. You kind of want to walk like this a little bit because it just feels weird as you're getting used to it. So I took my glasses off, and I said, oh, I see, yeah, that was longer than I thought it was. I didn't realize but then I looked around and realized the slope that I was on that was about this slope right here, angle right here, was really about that angle right there. And I was on some loose gravel. <laughs> and I realized that all I had to do was just slip once. And in about nine seconds, I could have gotten some really good close-ups of Yosemite Valley floor. <laughs> now, why do I tell you this? Okay, to tell you how dumb your, your interim pastor is? No, you already knew that, Okay. But to let you know that not seeing things as they really are can cause problems. And when we look at this world around us and we think this is what is real, that's when we get into problems. When we just, if we just act like God is real right here on Sunday morning, and then we don't act like he's real the rest of their time, that's when we get into trouble right there. You see, we live in two worlds. We live in the, in the physical world, and our five senses detect that world. But the spiritual world is even more real. It's, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's really where things exist. Great. C.S. Lewis wrote a book a while back called The Great Divorce. Has anybody here read The Great Divorce? Not, okay, I recommend you do it. Consider yourself ignorant and unlearned if you've not read The Great Divorce, okay? You can check it out. You can get the, like the Kindle version from the library for free, okay? Um, it's, it's like 90 pages, an easy read. But in it, the story, uh, I won't go into the whole story, but, but in it, people can take a bus trip to heaven. That's not a true story. You can't, it's, or it's made up, it's fantasy. But when they get to heaven, they realize that everything is much more beautiful and brighter. And in fact, at first when they get there, they don't even bend the grass down when they walk on it. Because the grass is so much real than it was here, and they're not that real yet. 
And that's that idea is that as we get there, we're beginning to think things more and more real. I wish Cindy was in here. She's, she's in the, uh, Kidsville to, or in the nursery today, but uh, Ken just had cataract replacement. And everybody who has cataract replaced, tell me, once you get those cataracts done, the world just seems brighter. And that's that idea again. It's, it's a, a leaning toward the spiritual world is so much brighter, so much more real than this physical world that we see. It's where God exists, and it is the reality. And the reality of God's existence shouldn't just affect us on Sunday morning, but it should affect, affect every area of your life 24-7. It should affect how you relate to your family. It should affect how you relate to your neighbors. Well, it should honestly reflect how you, react, how you relate to everyone. God's reality should affect how you spend your free time. How you, are you ready for this? How you drive on the freeway. All right, yeah, I knew there'd be some groans with that, okay? How you shop at Costco. How you think. How you act everywhere, every day, all the time. And I want to say that's when we get into trouble a lot of times is that we come here and we think this is one reality and that's a different reality out there. No, there is one reality that God is in control, that he is real, that he has a claim on our lives and it should affect us 24-7. And when we learn to live that way, the other stuff just doesn't matter as much. Somebody cuts you off on the freeway, you know what, who cares? I don't need revenge. I don't need to honk my horn. I just need to pray for them that they will get where they're going fast and get off the freeway and not hurt anybody or that they will learn to live in God's reality also. Those kinds of things. So I'm just saying, that's the first thing out of this passage that we need to know, but it goes much deeper than that. Beyond this, that's just sort of the intro right there. The second thing out there is much more important, is that God is relational, and he wants a relationship with you. He desires a relationship with you. Let's go back to that passage for a moment and look at the personal pronouns. I know it's like an English lesson today. But personal pronouns, okay? It says, here it says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. That God's very personal there. All right? And so many people out there don't want to believe in a personal God. All right? If you're a Star Wars fan, you know, God in the Star Wars universe is the force, this impersonal thing that nobody's ever figured out. And that's gotten really popular. If you ever watch a lot of contemporary uh, TV shows and movies, we'll talk about, you know, well, the universe didn't want, me, want that to happen. The universe is just a created thing. It's just something, it's another thing that's just, just not even as real as God is. It's something that was created by God. And God all the time talks about don't worship the creation, worship the creator. And the, so when they say it's them being afraid to realize that there is a personal God, who cares about you and wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to be your God, and he wants you to be his people, for there to be a personal relationship there. And let me tell you, there's two ways that God has this personal relationship with us. First, we belong to God. We are his by right of creation. By right of creation. You guys know there's a thing called copyright law. In fact, if you look at some of our slides, we have to, have, we have to buy a CCLI license for all of our songs to be able to, to play them, even to stream them, that kind of stuff, because, we, because the songs that we sing belong to the creator who created them. That's, that's law. 
If you, if you write something, you get a book published, and you own the copyright to it, unless you, unless you sell the copyright to somebody else, you own the copyright, it, it's your, it belongs to your family for 70 years after your death. I mean, that's, that's how the law goes. Well, God has a copyright on everything because he created everything. It all belongs to him because he created. God has your copyright stamped on you, has his copyright stamped on you somewhere. In fact, uh, a couple of, uh, back in February, we looked at Psalm 139. Uh, here are the verses we didn't get to yet. This is verses 13 to 18. I love the way it says it here. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Boy, that sounds intimate right there, just to start with, right there, that he created everything about you, okay? And then he goes on to say, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. It's just an image for when you were in, when you were in your mother's womb, that God saw you then and skillfully made you. And it goes on even more. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance when you were being made. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Oh my gosh, before you were born, God knew your days. He knew how to prepare you for what was coming. Whether it was something personal, whether it was something in the church, whether it was the loss of a pastor, or whether it was COVID, or whether, whatever it might have been, God says, no. When I made you, I was preparing you for these days. You are ready for it because I am your God. And then this last verse out of this, when it says, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count, count God's thoughts towards you, they would outnumber the sand. That's that God's always thinking about you. Now, Again, we don't want to make, church is not about us. It's not about how great we are because we're simply creation also. God is still the one that's the utmost, the highest reality. But he still wants to have a relationship with you. I mean, right now, think about right now who, who your favorite movie star or athlete or if you're a really weird politician is. Okay, I don't have a favorite anymore. I just don't, I, I, yeah. But, uh, but somebody you'd love to meet. All right, and suppose you wound up sitting next to them on the plane, and they started talking with you and invited you over and just became your friend and said, I want to be somebody, yeah. Wouldn't that be cool? You know you'd be putting on your social media. You know you would be, right? Absolutely, we all would, okay? All right, guess what? The God of the universe says that about you. The creator and sustainer and owner of everything says, I think about you all the time. He said, well, God thinks about everybody. Yeah, that doesn't lessen a bit, the fact that God thinks about you all the time. Not one bit that God loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. And ladies and gentlemen, relationships have privilege. I want you to think about that. Relationships, you ever heard the phrase, it's not what you know, but it's who you know? That's so true. I'm here at this position, this, 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 this job is your interim. I wound up getting it because Red and I knew the same person. We didn't know it at the time. But it came through, 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 uh, through recommendations and things like that. So, um, boy, do I have time for this. 
Yeah, I'm going to shorten it up, okay? When I got married, okay, I want you to know, when I, when I got married, I got married at First Baptist Church San Francisco, the oldest Baptist church west of the Rocky Mountains, okay, established in 1849. It is, it is this magnificent, gorgeous church. Organ there was donated to the church by John D. Rockefeller himself, okay? And that church is a very desirable place to have, to have services, things like that. Downtown San Francisco, we got it for absolutely free. Why? Because I knew the pastor. He and I were friends. We had a relationship. And he says, you know what? You get the church for free. Actually, you know, when you go do a wedding, you got to, you have out-of-town guests, you have to put them up. That's part of the tradition, okay? That we had to put them up there. Well, we got all our friends suites at a hotel down by the airport. Why do we have suites there? Because I knew the manager of the hotel. He and I were friends. We had a relationship. And he gave us all these suites at a dirt cheap price to put everybody up. They got these really nice places to stay but a lot of these people had never been to san francisco before so we wanted to take them on the daryl and Teresa uh, uh history uh, uh, uh memory tour of san francisco and show them the place where we, where we had our first date and where we got engaged and all this stuff and we were able to get a 19 passenger van and able to drive it around uh, town why did we able to do that because it belonged to the hotel and i knew the manager and the manager knew we had a relationship and we got it for free all i had to do was fill up the gas tank we had people that came in, they got these nice baskets with bottles of Ghirard, uh, Ghirardelli chocolate and sparkling cider and all these other things from San Francisco. Why? Because one of my wife's bridesmaids was a decorator. She knew how to make things like that. And she made up all these fine, fancy gift baskets for everybody. Why? Because she was a friend of hers, an old roommate. And they had a relationship. They knew each other. And so we were able to get that. We got, our, we got our wedding photography for less than half price because I used to work at a radio station with a guy who did the photography. And we were friends. We had a relationship. So we got that free. You have to have flowers. We got our flowers for less than half price because I had a secretary that actually was a, was a decorated she was able to go down to the flower mart and get the flowers at wholesale and she gave them to us as a wedding present and back in the 80s when we got married nobody had wedding videos except we had a couple that we knew that we were friends with we had a relationship with that had a video production company and they did a video of our wedding and you go on and on and on and on about all the things that we got there for free so we had like this fairly dirt cheap wedding except for that wedding dress oh, there's no I didn't know anybody in that industry at all. But, but anyway, but we got all these deals why because we knew people we had a relationship so think about that and now think about this. You don't know a hotel manager or a decorator or a florist or something like that. You know the God of the universe. And think about what that means for you in your everyday life. And it ought to affect everything you do. Let's take some of the, what are some of the spiritual things we do? For example, we always talk about reading your Bible. I, I encourage you guys to read your Bible every day. Why read your Bible every day? Because we said to do it? No, because this is perfect guide for life? No, not even that. Here's the reason to read your Bible every day. Because my friend wrote a book, and he wrote it for me. And because of that, I'm going to read my Bible. You know, if your friend wrote a book that was a bestseller, and if it, you thought it was like the worst book ever, you would still read it because it was your friend. Well, your friend, your God, wrote a book and wrote it for you. And you want to read it because you love him and he loves you and you want to get to know him. Think about witnessing. I don't know if you're like me. I still am a nervous witnesser. I get clammy hands. I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing. A lot of times it's because I'm trying to tell people about somebody who lived 2,000 years ago and 10,000 miles away. And that's not what it is. Witnessing is just introducing your friends to your very, very best friend. That's all it is. That's all it is. And when you look at it from that that you're talking about a relationship that you have, and you're just telling your friends about that relationship, okay? Destiny, I'm going to pick on you here because you're the teenager, the closest teenager right now. So thank you for sitting up front. But if I, if I stopped by your school, I, I know you're out of school right now, but if I stopped by and I was able to, to visit there and you didn't, want any, you didn't introduce me to anybody, I would think either you're ashamed of me or ashamed of your friends, okay? It would just feel weird. But when you have two friends get together, you, wanna, you introduce them usually, don't you? Same thing with this. That's what witnessing is. 
just introducing people to your best friend. We can say that about just about everything that we do. We could go on and on and on. Prayer. Sometimes prayer seems tedious. Well, is talking to your best friend tedious? No, never. And that's what prayer should be like. We could go on and on and on. But I'm just saying, relationships determine a lot who you are. Who I am is determined often by my relationships. Father, husband, employee, neighbor, whatever. And so your relationship with God as a Christ follower should affect everything that you do. Now, that's God, how God owns us by right of creation and that relationship. But there's another way that God owns us. This is our third point. God is, I'm trying to move a little bit faster here because I realize I don't want us to go over time here, but God is also our redeemer. So he's real, he's relational, he is also our redeemer. And that's one of those weird words. You don't hear redeem very often. In fact, it's one of those things you hardly only ever hear at church. Now, those of you who are my age may remember something that you redeemed. Who remembers S&H green stamps? All right, it's only people my age and older, okay? For, for you younger ones that don't get okay, when you go to the grocery store and you would buy, they would, they would print out these stamps. And they were like singles. They were, were there fives and tens and fifties? Is that what it was? And then you would have to, and this was before, the, you know how you peel stamps off, they just stick now? You used to have to lick them. And so we'd come home to the grocery store and I had to sit there and lick them and paste them into a book. So that my mom could go to the S&H Green Stamps Redemption Store and get those stamps redeemed. Not TV, well, we know it was usually plates and silverware. There was a wall with toys, but mom never went over there, okay? It was always the plates and the silverware and stuff like that, or an iron or something, some kind of thing like that. So that's one idea of redemption. S&H Green Stamps was buying back those stamps. That's what redemption means, to buy back. Now, for you younger ones, I'll put it something different. All right, let's think. Chuck E. Cheese, or John's Incredible Pizza, all right? So I've got two sorts of, because you're more that Chuck E. Cheese you're familiar with, okay? Yeah, Chuckie's weird, but all right, we won't, love you, Chuckie, that's fine, all right? But Chuckie, go, you go play skee ball, and it spits out these, these, these tickets, and if you get like 3.7 billion tickets, then you can go up to the Redemption Center, and you got this little high-bounce ball that your parents throw away after a week, you know, because they're tired of stepping on it and that kind of stuff. All right, but you go and you get those tickets redeemed. Chucky buys back those tickets, and that's what it means. So here's how the idea of redemption works, and this is really important. If you don't get anything out of this sermon, this is the one I want you to focus on right here, is this idea of redemption, because this is the great meta-narrative of the universe. This is the essence of our faith right here, is that God created us to have a relationship with us. That's his first thing of ownership with us, or relationship with us. But each one of us, every one of us in this room, everyone watching on, on our social media, everyone walking by this church, everyone who's ever existed on the planet, we have all turned away from God through sinning and because of living in a sinful world. We have all turned away. And I want to illustrate sin. Sin, the word sin is just, baking, it comes from an archery term, meaning to fall short. We got a little illustration right here. Let's see if we can put it up on the screen. I think that's the next thing. So we've got God's perfection there. And we try to reach God's perfection. So hit the next slide there. And so our, nah, don't get, okay, go back to it if you can, all right. I know I put, we have sometimes getting this, getting this to work properly, all right. But that effort right there, okay, yeah, the colors even changed because that, Thing was supposed to be red so that it said sin at the end there if you didn't quite catch that okay all right so the idea is we fall short an arrow that fell short in an archery was called was said to have sinned to falling short god's perfect we're not 
And because of that, we can't relate to God because of our sin. So God created us, and we turned away from him because of sin. Where God was no longer our Lord, but sin was our Lord, our master, was our boss. But God did something else. He redeemed us. He bought us back from sin. And how did he do that? Through Jesus. Because the law of the universe that God had set up said that sin means death. It means failure. That when you sin, you die spiritually. And the idea of death, just just so you understand, I want everybody to get this. The Bible uses the image of death because death is the great separation. For those of us who have lost a loved one, we know the toughest thing about that is we are separated from them. We cannot spend time with them. We cannot see them. We cannot touch them. We are separated. And that's that image of death. And spiritual death means that we have been separated from God. We were lost to him. He no longer, his copyright had been violated. But God said, you know what? My law says sin requires death. But I do not want them to be dead any longer. And so I offer my son, who himself was fully God. He wasn't a part of God. He wasn't a phase of God. Somehow together, he's all God. And so he became human, took on human flesh, died on the cross for us so that God could buy us back from sin. So all of us belong to God two ways, by creation, and if you're a believer in Christ and a follower of him, by redemption. And that is huge. I like the way that 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it here. This is in the CSB. It says, he, talking about God, made the one, talking about Jesus, who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then I've got the International Children's Bible at the bottom there. It's a little more closer to a paraphrase, but I love it. It says, just makes it very simple. If you want to get it in simplest words, Christ had no sin. Only person, human ever, because he was God in human flesh, had no sin. But God made him become sin. He took on the penalty of our sin. God did this for us so that in Christ we could become right with God. That's just about as simple as it can get. The only way you can have a relationship with God is through God the Son, Jesus Christ. You must believe him and accept his sacrifice and yield your life to him. Now, I know a lot of us in this room, most of us probably, have done that, have taken that step. But I want to get that out there every once in a while, that that is the essence of our faith. And it is the great, as I say, meta-narrative of the universe. You want to know the purpose of all this stuff? It is all about us being lost lost in this sinful world and Jesus dying on the cross for us so that we could live in relationship with God. Now, all that kind of talks about some reasons we can trust God. Now I'm going to get to the very last promise in this passage. We've already looked at that God is real, God is redeemer, God is relational, and now God is ready to help you and to guide you. And that's in the last part of this verse. It's all in this one verse right here in Isaiah 48, 17. 
But the last part of this says, it says, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. And this is such an interesting, I love this. This is just huge right here, okay? All right? I am, who uh, uh, teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Now that idea of profit, you think, what is that all about? And all other translations, I, I use the New American Standard here. That's not our pew Bible, our chair Bible version. But I like to use the New American Standard here because I like that, that idea of profit there. Because what it means, the word there is the Hebrew word, it's ya'al, okay? I know it sounds like somebody from the south with hiccups, all right? But ya'al is the Hebrew word there. And it means to, to, to ascend or become valuable or to confer, confer value on it. For example, people ask me how much my house is worth. Well, basically, the only thing my house is going to be worth is how much somebody's willing to pay for it. You really can't tell. You can make a guess at what it's going to be worth. But the, if I go to sell my house, the Goldsboro's just sold their house. They got more than they asked for it because people kept adding value to the house because they kept agreeing to pay more for it. So value is something conferred on it, on somebody. It's what something, value is, is so the idea there is to ascend or to grow or to rise in value. That's the word y'all. Now, it's related to the Hebrew word Yael. It's just one word, one letter difference there, Yael. Now, here's an interesting thing about Hebrew. In Hebrew, words that sound alike are often related. Now, it doesn't work that way in English. Like submarine and tangerine, two different things, okay? Serve two totally different purposes. So, it doesn't work that way in English. But it does in Hebrew. So, Yael is related to the word Yael. And, okay, you guys are going to love this, all right? When it says God teaches a prophet, he's saying he not only wants you to Yael, he wants you to be like Yael. And you ready for this? Here's what Yael means. It's Hebrew for a mountain goat. Doesn't that just bless your heart right there? God wants you to, Mark, God wants you to be a mountain goat. Now, why would God do that? Think back to the days when this was written. And people traveled by foot. And as they were traveling, and Israel's got some mountainous areas. It's got some valleys and some plains, but it's got a lot of mountainous areas, especially around Jerusalem. And as people were, were walking from one place to another, when they had to climb a hill, it was just like, oh, man. You know, I ride a bicycle once in a while, and hills, hate them. Hate them with a passion, all right? Drop it in low gear, and you're just pedaling, 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 and you get, you know, like three feet, and you felt like you just pedaled for an hour. All right, that's old people talk, but... But that was that, and they felt that same way, like, oh, I got to do, or if they wound up, there was a rock slide, and they had to cl climb over boulders. It's like, oh, I either got to go around, or I got to climb over this. This is just miserable. But mountain goats are not that way. I was reading something in National Geographic one time about a, a guy who was stalking a mountain goat and stalked it to the edge of a cliff. And he thought, oh, I can get an up-close thing of this. And the mountain goat just jumped off the edge of the cliff. It was a canyon and jumped from side to side on the canyon, back and forth, all the way down to the and was gone. Mountain goats are made for climbing. Their hooves, their legs are made for climbing. So a, a, a person traveling around and seeing a boulder, that's, oh, man, an obstacle. I hate this. A mountain goat looks at it and goes, cool, stepping stone, boink, 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 and it's over and it's gone. And so what God is saying in this passage is, I want you to be the kind of person. I'm going to help you be the kind of person that looks at the obstacles and goes, not goes, oh, man. But it looks at those obstacles and says, I can get over that. 
I can do it because God's leading me, because God's helping me. I can make it over that. I'm going to climb over this. I'm going to ascend. I'm going to climb. I'm going to get higher. I'm going to be able to do this. That is how God leads us. He wants us to be like that, to be like that mountain goat that looks at those obstacles and says, this is a chance for growth. This is a chance for me to show God's power. This is a chance for me to climb and send and do something better. He wants his people to grow and to climb higher and to, lead, to learn and to gain abilities. It also says, talk about God leading you. I think one of the best, the best example I can think of, and it falls, for short, falls, falls far short, is Google Maps. I've gotten where I rely on Google Maps so much. I used to just use them in the, I used to just use them when I go to LA or whatever, okay? But, uh, or, to, or to San Francisco. But I got them where I use everywhere now because Google Maps will tell me if there's an accident, I see that road has become red, I know it to go another direction. In fact, Google Maps will even tell me there's an accident 4.372 miles ahead. Uh, I, I found an alternate route. Would you like to take it? And I almost always go, yeah, let's see what that says, all right? And I think God, and, and that's a very poor example, but it's the best one I can come up with, that God says, you know what? You're going to face some tough stuff up here in the future. I got an alternate route for you. Or, or sometimes, hey, there's a roadblock up ahead, and I don't have an alternate route for you right now because you know what? I'm going to teach you something through this roadblock. You're going to sit here for a little bit. You're going to wait for a little bit. All right? I mean, God had his people wait. He had them wait for 70 years in captivity in Babylon. He had them wait for 400 years in Egypt. He had them wait like 1,200 years for the Messiah to come, and they missed it. All right? And, he's, and who knows how much longer he has for us to wait for stuff, but God does those things to teach us and to grow us so he not always, doesn't always give us a way around. Sometimes he says, I have you waiting for a little bit because I'm going to teach you something. I'm going to allow you to have something. For me, when I hit a roadblock in the traffic, that's for me to catch up on my texting and my emails at that point, okay? All right? <laughs> Since when I'm stopped, and I can do that. That may not be legal even then, but I do it anyway sometimes. Not when I'm moving, all right? So... I have one more illustration for you guys. I knew this was going to be a little long, but I think this is important. It's a personal illustration, but I really want to kind of give you the idea, because the question comes up, why doesn't God explain it to us? Why didn't he show us the whole purpose of all of this? And I learned this several years ago when my son was very sick. Um, my son um, was three years old. I was up at Hume Lake. At a, at a pastor's retreat and uh, got the call that I needed to come home right away that my son was very sick. So I dashed home and found out he had been, um, I don't want to be delicate, let's just say he had been losing fluids from multiple places for, for 24 hours. And he had lost over 25% of his body weight already. That would be like me losing 50 pounds in 24 hours. Okay, he had lost 25% of his body weight I met them at the doctor's office because he was already there by the time I got back to Fresno. And my son, who's usually excited to see me and I was gone, would try to be like Dino and the Flintstones to knock me down when I came in the door, kind of thing, hardly even recognized I was there. He just had this glazed over look. His lips were cracked from how dry he was because he had not been able to keep any fluids down. And the doctor said, we have to hydrate him, IV, IV hydration right now. And as the dad it became my task to hold him down 
while the doctors tried to get the IV needle in. His veins were so dehydrated, his, his, his blood system, so that, that his veins kept collapsing when they tried to get the needle in, and so they had to dig for it, okay? Demetri, you know what I'm talking about there? They had to, had to dig for that, for that vein. And they finally got it in, and I had to hold him there quietly. The doctor said, you can give him five cc's of Pedialyte every five minutes. Five cc's is about like, much like the end of my finger there. And as my son was lying there, he'd gone through that pain, and knowing all he could see was my face when he felt that pain. And then he would like, Daddy, Daddy, I want cold water. He could see the sink over in the doctor's office there. He could see it. He's like, I want cold water. And all he could do was take a syringe without a needle and get five cc's and squirt it into his mouth every five minutes. My son's brilliant. And he was, he was this kid that, when he was four, right on a fourth grade level. I mean, they, the school tested him for it, and he was that kind of kid. So he's three, and I knew he liked exploring things, and so I tried explaining it to him. I'm sort of that cerebral kind of person. So I'm looking at him going, son, okay, we can't give you the water right now because your body can't hold it. You want to throw up again? No, you don't. So, all right, but you see this bag up here? They're putting water right into your body now, so your body's getting what it needs. And so as I'm trying to explain it to my son, all of a sudden, my son just started shaking his head like this and said, Daddy, 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 quit talking to me. Now, my wife thinks that's funny, all right? I, 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 and maybe it was, it is now, but as I was trying to explain it to him, my son was just basically saying, I don't get it, I don't care, I don't care. And it made me realize that's why God doesn't explain sometimes a lot of stuff to it. That God said, sure, you lost a pastor a while back. There were some unfun things. You've lost some other people that have gone somewhere. Yeah, you had to endure COVID, and not everybody's come back yet. I've got reasons for that, but if I tried to explain it to you right now, it would either confuse you or it would frustrate you, and you wouldn't understand it. I'm sorry, you really can't understand all that I'm doing here. There's no way for me to explain it to you. But God says to you the same thing I said to my son then. I just looked him in the face. And I said, son, I'm your daddy, and I love you. And I know you don't understand what we're doing, but right now what we're doing is the very best for you. And if you just trust me and just lay here and take what we give you and let the doctors do what they need to do, it's going to be okay. You're going to be better. That's all you can do. Sometimes that works for us. Sometimes it doesn't, but it's still the truth. That when we look around and we go like, oh, God, we lost the gold squirrels. What are we going to do? God says, you know, I got that handled. Oh, we've lost this person. Or, or this person's been, you know, slipped back into an old sin or something like that. And God says, you know what? I got that handled too. I knew all your days before any of them were ever written, wherever they're done. I knew them. I'm prepared for this. I am your daddy. I'm your God because I created you and I redeemed you. And I care about you very much. And whatever you're going through right now, I know what it is. And I'm here to help you. I'm leading you to get over those boulders, to get over those obstacles, to move forward. And I'm going to help you get through these trials. You're going to be better for it in the end. 
I know it's painful now. I know you're not getting what you want from me. But trust me, you're getting what's best from me because I'm your God.